Hello guys and welcome back to another episode of The Health Project. I'm Jed Zimmer, your host, and I'm super excited to have you guys back on board with me. First of all, I just want to say a big thanks for those of you that jumped on board and listened to our very first episode. The feedback that I received has been incredible and I'm truly amazed by how many people have jumped on board and are now part of this health journey with me. I'm truly inspired and very excited to bring to you our next guest in Gillian Mandich. Gillian is a researcher in the fields of happiness and she has appeared on multiple TED Talks and is a keynote speaker worldwide on all things happiness. She's a teacher in the fields of health and wellness and does so on a variety of platforms such as university classrooms, TV, radio, podcasts, magazines, online, videos, documentaries, you name it. So again, guys, if you're someone who wants to live a happier and more fulfilling life, this episode is certainly one to not miss. So here it is, my chat with Gillian. Welcome, Gillian. It's a pleasure of mine to finally be able to have you on board with The Health Project. You were quite challenging to track down, but I'm glad I did pursue because your area of expertise, it's quite unique, but it's incredible and something that a lot of people can benefit from. And I know you've certainly, you've changed my life for the better. So it's very exciting to have you on board. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's so nice of you. Thanks for sharing that. That means a lot. Um, where did it all start for you? The um, Where did your passion for health um, and well-being sort of what was the catalyst for it all? Um, were you someone who was always interested in health, fitness and those kind of things or was there a sort of turning point? Mm. Yeah, you know, so I'm the oldest of seven kids in my family and my mom grew up and like my mom was sprouting wheatgrass in the basement like when I was three years old. And so <laughs> <clears throat> I sort of, I grew up with um, with parents that really modeled a lot of different health behaviors. So for me, it was kind of something that was part of my upbringing. So always, you know, I was very active in sports and, uh, you know, healthy eating and stuff like that. So for me, when I went into university, I actually wanted to be a doctor um, because I thought, you know, I like health and I was really good at math and science. And so I thought that was going to be a good fit for me. And then I, I got into med school and something in my gut told me that it didn't feel right. So I ended up deferring my acceptance for a year and I applied to every job I could find with the word health in the title, because even though I didn't know what I wanted to do, I knew I wanted to be in the health space. And yep. that's how I came into research. I ended up working at the health unit in London, Ontario, Canada, where I grew up. And when I started and I got introduced into the world of research, that really changed my life because then I started to uh, really understand what a good fit that was for me because I love asking questions. I love trying to figure out answers. I love getting curious. Mm -hmm. And when you combine that passion with health, it was such a natural fit for me. So that's why I went back to school. I did my master's and my PhD, both in health science, because for me, that's really the best place for me in terms of a home for my research interests, for my work interests, for my passions. It all kind of comes together in that spot. And Gillian, what's your advice for people People out there who might be in the boat that they're not sure what their passion and where their interests are, I know the advice that I've recently started giving is if you go to a library and you have to borrow a book, what section are you going to go to? For me, that's instantly straight to the health and wellbeing section and there's no hesitation and I'm sure it's very similar for yourself. But what's your advice you like to give for those people who are not sure what their passion is? Yeah, you know, this is this is such a good question and actually so – um 
while I was doing my PhD, I also taught at Western at the university that I was at. And one of the courses that I taught was the first year health science course. And it was a super class. I had 500 first year university students in my class. And we had this conversation or a similar version of it a lot because these are, you know, um, teenagers who are coming out of university or pardon me, out of high school into university and trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life. And one of the things I think I, really is to start to pay attention to what are the things that you enjoy where you, where you start doing it in time, almost like it, it feels like you're frozen in time. Mm. Um, and the other thing is, I, and I, I talk about this a lot um, with my students in the classroom was that sometimes there, there's things that you do for work and there's things that you do for passion. And sometimes those overlap, sometimes they're the exact same and sometimes they're different. Mm. So Sometimes people um, have hobbies or things that they do on the side that really light them up. And then the job they do throughout the week is, is part of the process um, because that can be it. At the same time, I think if you're really trying to figure it out, one of the things that I've had to realize even for my own life is that these things evolve over your life. Yeah. It's kind of like happiness in that way where it's not necessarily a destination, right? It's something where as you continue to grow and evolve and to learn as a person, your interests, your passions, those tend to grow and evolve too. So for me, I kind of took the pressure off myself by asking that question because it, it was something that caused me a lot of stress because I could never figure out the answer. Mm. And instead, I started asking myself, you know, am I learning? Am I growing? And as you naturally seek out learning and education and new things and new skills, you start to hone in on what it is. So you're going after kind of the same outcome, but from a different perspective and one that I think has a lot less, puts a lot less pressure on you. And this is another one of those things that's really, it grows and evolves, right? Just like if you're starting out a relationship and you're dating over time, you get to know the other person and they get to know you. A similar situation can happen with yourself where as you continue to do things to get to know yourself, whether that be spend time alone, which can be a very scary and difficult thing for a lot of people. I know it was for myself for many years, um, or whether that be journaling or you know taking quiet time to go for walks, slowly starting to almost create that relationship with yourself. When you do that, you start to get to know yourself better and you start to bring more awareness into what you do every day and the thoughts and the actions and the behaviors that you do. Amazing. That's great advice. First of all, the science behind happiness and then, yeah, just some strategies we can all put in place. I know I love the thought of gratitude. Um, that's something that I'm quite passionate about, but what are some other things that you sort of recommend? Yeah, I love that. And you know, it's so interesting because when I first started my PhD, I was actually researching childhood obesity and looking at physical activity and sedentary behaviors with kids. And I started to notice that during childhood obesity studies, during the program, you know, it's pretty effective. But as soon as the program ends, kids and families tend to go back to doing what they were doing before. Mm. And I was using weight as a cutoff. So in order to be um, classified as overweight or obese for a child, their BMI, their body mass index, has to be above the 85th percentile for their age and gender. Yeah. And I started thinking about that because I was like, why am I using the number on a scale to determine if somebody can be in a study? Because mm -hmm. you can be overweight and obese and not be healthy, but mm -hmm. you can also not be overweight and obese and be, un oh, sorry, you can be overweight and obese and be healthy. You mm -hmm. can also not be overweight and obese and be unhealthy, right? So the weight, our weight doesn't necessarily indicate health. And I know you know that, right? In, yeah. in your line of work, absolutely. Yeah. And so I didn't, to be honest, I didn't know you could even study happiness. 
And the way I found it was I was looking into the literature, into the scientific research to figure out what impacts health beyond the number on a scale. And I like literally stumbled on happiness research. And then I became fascinated with it because when you're happier, pretty much every positive health outcome that you want, it amplifies it. And when you compare happy people to unhappy people, happy people live longer. They have lower rates of cardiovascular disease. They heal faster from injury. They have stronger immune systems. They like really, they make better nutritional choices and sleep better than not only in terms of duration, but also in terms of quality of sleep. So really happiness is going after that same outcome of health, but from a different perspective. Mm. And let's talk about what what can we put in place to sort of get to a stage where we are finding ourselves more happier. So what are some of these steps we can take? Mm -hmm. So first of all, I think it's important to know that a lot of our happiness is actually within our control. So above genetics, above environment, above all the things, a big piece of our happiness is our personal responsibility. And that comes through focusing on our thoughts, our actions, and our behaviors. So you had mentioned gratitude earlier. Um, and gratitude can be, it's highly correlated with happiness. So when people tend to practice gratitude and increase their, their level of gratitude or the gratefulness that they have in their life, they tend to be happier. Um, other things that can boost happiness are physical activity, mm-hmm. right? And you kind of get a double boost there because you get the endorphins and that like the physiological pleasure feelings from exercise, but then also in terms of confidence and how you feel about your body and how your body um, energy levels, things like that. Um, with exercise, sorry, do you have to be, um, do you have to be careful with sort of recommendations for certain people? I know working in the sort of mental health field now, a lot of the clients, um, they're constantly stressed all the time. Um, and exercise is, is the stress of the body. So with a lot of those clients, I'm just careful about the kind of exercise cause I don't want to sort of put another stimulus on top of what they're doing. So that's yeah. why I look towards something just low key. Do you have to be real yeah. careful in those kind of things? Uh, you know, I love that you brought that up because it's absolutely true. And like you said, exercise is still a physiological stress on the body, right? Um, but exercise doesn't necessarily mean going into the gym and squatting mm. or, uh, you know, it can be going for a walk and actually walking, especially if you can get outside um, into nature while you walk can be a very powerful way to, to boost happiness. So exercise more isn't always better as mm. well. And it doesn't need to be strenuous in order to see benefits. And it doesn't actually all need to be at once either. Okay. There's research that shows that it can have a, in terms of our happiness and our mental well-being, exercise can have a cumulative effect throughout the day. So a 10 minute walk in the morning and, you know, maybe doing a yoga class or whatever it, mm. as you add it up through the day, you see the benefits. So it doesn't have to be in, in one shot. And it, yeah, awesome. this is where that self-awareness piece that we kind of touched on earlier comes in because we're all students of our body and our body's our best teacher. And if we're having a day where we're really tired or we're feeling really low, then going for a really strenuous exercise probably is not the best thing to do. We might be better off taking a nap or reading a book or maybe going for like a gentle walk or something like that. So it, there's no sort of black or white, but what we do know in terms of the research is that when we do move our body, we can see mood boosting effects for up to 12 hours. So beyond that, there really is a powerful residue of the benefits of exercise in terms of, of how we're feeling and our mood and our emotions and our feelings and our thoughts. That's awesome. 12 hours. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Isn't that neat? So exercise, gratitude, um, Mm -hmm. anything else you like to, and actually 
I want to ask gratitude. What does that look like for you? Is that, do you journal in the morning and evening? Um, is it, I know a lot of people love the old three things and grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So, you know, I, I play around with different things. I, I'm someone that um, gets bored easily. So, um, I like, and actually even in terms of whatever we do, it is good to mix it up a little bit. So whether, um, if you're listening right now and you're wondering like, what's the best, what does the research say is the most powerful or potent way to practice gratitude? Um, a couple things that matter and a couple things that don't. So in like a good, better, best situation, writing down what you're grateful for is best. Even though that aside though, if you want to think about things that you're grateful for, that it's still really, really beneficial. Mm. So, you know, even if you're laying in bed at night and you're like, oh, I forgot to write down three things, great things that happened to me or whatever, even taking the time to think about it does see benefits. Even like people, I get asked a lot, does it matter what I think about that I'm grateful for? Does it have to be three great things that happened that day? Can it be three great people in my life? Can it be three body parts I love? It really doesn't matter. Okay. As long as you're looking for things that you are feeling very appreciative for, that's where the benefits are. And actually mixing it up a little bit is better. So if you ask yourself the same question every day, Mm. you kind of get um, sort of a plateauing effect over time because our body craves novelty and we need to keep just like exercise, right? If you squat all the time, eventually you kind of plateau, Mm. right? And then you need to either change your weights or change your movement or whatever. It's the same thing with gratitude. The other things that matter are getting specific and detailed. So the more you can involve your senses, you know, if you bake bake cookies today, it's not just I bake cookies. If you kind of put yourself back in that situation and imagine how the cookies smelled, how the cookies tasted, all of those things, the more descriptive you can be, the more powerful the benefits. Um, And then in terms of when you think about um, dosage, once a day is, is great and you don't need to kind of overwhelm it. Some people like myself, for example, sometimes I like to bookend my day with gratitude. So the first thing I'll think about in the morning before I even open my eyes is I'll think about something that I'm grateful for. And then I'll do the same thing at the end of the day. And I think that's a really good place to start. Um, because most of the time, um, most people, when you wake up in the morning, like what's their first thought, the alarm goes off, right. And they're, I'm tired. I don't want to get out of bed. I didn't get enough sleep. So when you can change that and change the tone that you set your day with, that can be a really powerful thing. What's, What's really cool about gratitude is that it doesn't take a lot of time. And usually like if I do a talk or something, I'll have an Eeyore, you know, like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh and everyone put up their hand and they'll say, you know, I have nothing in my life to be grateful for. And well, I would potentially challenge that, right? Like we're all breathing. We all have, you know, shelter over our head, those sort of things. But when you look at the research in terms of what matters for potency and power of gratitude, it's not even the outcome. It's the process of looking. So even if you take time to think about things that you're grateful for and you come up with nothing, Mm. that's still the power is in the looking, not the necessarily the finding or the outcome. What are your thoughts on gratitude on an evening? I, I know from research that I've done, I've always been of the belief that the power of my thoughts um, in those sort of initial stages, just before falling asleep, um, that sort of, I've actually, I think, I don't know how much I just think it does, but I think that dictates the way I sleep. So that's where I find it extremely important to really go to bed with gratitude as well. Mm, I love that. One of um, those Thomas Edison quotes that I love, he says, never go to sleep without a request to your subconscious mind. Mm, yeah. And so when you think about it, at the end of the day, 
what are the last thoughts we're putting into our brain and are we being intentional and deliberate about choosing those thoughts? Like you said, I think that's a really, um, it brings awareness and intentionality into your thoughts, which in and of itself is a very powerful practice. And not only that, then you're not going to bed with the last thought being what you heard on the news or right. Or these things that you didn't do that day or things like that. When, when you can do that, I think that's a really powerful practice. And what's cool about gratitude is it's not a one size fits all thing. Some people will prefer to have a gratitude journal that they write in every day. Some people will prefer to have an app on their phone. Some people prefer to just have a blank piece of paper and write it out. Some people want to talk about it with other people. So there is no necessarily right or wrong. It's what works for you at that time and what works in your life. Do you have a preference of what works for you? Sometimes I found, especially when I first started practicing gratitude, I did find having a journal, a gratitude journal beside my bed, a really good way to help build the habit Mm -hmm. because it was a visual reminder, right? When I woke up in the morning, I looked over, it was right there. When I went to go to bed at the end of the night, it was right there. So it's really helped me to create that sort of visual cue to remind me to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, over time, you start to get used to it. And actually, one of the things I've been doing lately that... um, I, I kind of play around with different things is I was thinking about it one day and I would write down, you know, I'm really grateful for the lunch I had with my friend. Mm. And then I thought, what would even be more powerful than that would be to tell my friend really great to write it down. But if you can actually take it one step further and share that with the people that you lives t- you touched that day or that touched you or that you learned about or things like that, it can be even more powerful because you're saying it out loud or via text or whatever, but you're also getting sort of a double bonus because when you do something nice for somebody else, they feel good. You feel good as well. And that's something I'm extremely passionate about, empathy. And mm -hmm. whenever, if I I say to a lot of my clients, whenever you're stressed, just go out of your your way to help someone um, and then you'll you'll notice you feel better yourself. It's a win-win for both parties. And not only that, there's there's actually research that, that shows that if you do something nice for someone, like so the, the study in particular was looking at um, buying coffee for the person in line behind you. So in this particular study, they assessed the happiness of people that bought coffee for a stranger. And the person that bought the coffee felt happier, which isn't surprising, right? They did something nice for somebody else. Yeah. The person that had the coffee bought for them also felt better, had an increase in their happiness because it's nice. A total stranger did something nice for you. Absolutely. But what yeah. I think was the coolest part of the study was that Anybody that saw that action happen also saw a boost in their happiness. Mm. And what I love about that is sometimes, you know, we don't live in silos. We don't live in isolation. And sometimes I think it's important to remember that we do live in this global community and, you know, um, realizing that our actions can actually extend beyond us. And so when we do nice things and we model nice things for other people, not only does it improve our happiness and their happiness, but anybody else that sees it. That's extremely and even even taking it one step further than that, research from Harvard shows that our happiness actually extends three degrees from us. So when we focus on our happiness, the people that we meet are touched by that, but then also the people that they meet. So you start to see this sort of ripple or halo effect. And when we think about everything that's going on in the world and how you know we wanna make a difference and make an impact, doing that, focusing on our happiness, prioritizing our happiness, remembering that it's not a selfish thing, but really it's one of the most selfless things that we can do. And not only does it affect us, but it actually extends three degrees out. I think sometimes that's a good reminder. That's incredible. That is very powerful advice there. Um, I'm going off track a little bit. You just got me thinking a little bit. Coffee, we touched on I love it, yeah. What is your view on coffee? I know there's a lot of mixed opinions out there. A lot of the experts that I've interviewed, 
Some mm-hmm. say love it, bulletproof coffee. There's all these different conceptions out there. What is your view? So I, I drink coffee. I like coffee. Yep. Um, I think it's kind of like one of those things where with happiness, somebody will practice gratitude and they'll love it. It'll change their life. It'll really like, you know, uh, be something that's a powerful practice that impacts them. And somebody else might not, it might not be for them. And I think it's the same with that, you know, across the board, like I said before, like we're students of our body and our body's our best teacher. Mm -hmm. And so this is where we can try, whether it's black coffee or bulletproof, like you said, or whatever these different types of coffees are or tea or whatever, whatever it is, um, checking in how we feel after I have it. Do I feel better? Do I feel worse? Is, am I, is my heart rate racing? Did I have too much? Am I getting shaky? All these different things, our body sends us these signals. Um, but yeah, for me personally, and I actually, I have a friend that's a dietitian okay. and he has this cool, um, it's called nutrigenomics. So what you do is it's like DNA testing um, yeah. for your genetics. And so when I did mine, one of the things that they test is some people are caffeine responders and some people are caffeine non-responders. Wow. So for some people, caffeine can have a cardioprotective effect. And yeah. For some people, the opposite. And so when I did my test, I was a caffeine responder. So I was like, okay, great. <laughs> What was the test called? Sorry. Nutrigenomics with an X. It's like, um, you spit in, it's kind of like, you know, like 23 and me or ancestry.com, yeah. how you, you spit in the thing and then they do some genetic testing. Yeah. Incredible. One of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's a dietitian and she uses it a lot, um, to counsel with her, her patients because sometimes our genetics can tell a big story that we might not know about otherwise. That's right. And I was going to touch on nutrition. So this leads into it quite nicely. Um, what's your philosophy on nutrition? Is it very similar to what we've just touched on with caffeine there? It's about self-experimenting, finding what works for you, taking these food intolerance tests. Um, so obviously different diets going to work best for different people. Um, for sure. But I think there's so much confusion out there with keto, paleo, um, mm-hmm. experts saying follow a low carbohydrate. Um, it's just so much confusion, I think. So what is your philosophy on it all? Yeah. You know, so I, I have tried a lot of different things. I've been vegan. I've been raw vegan. I've been paleo. I've tried keto. Like I've tried a lot of things. Um, and what I've kind of come to, I've been very regimented where when I was in fitness for a while, where I was like measuring out my food to where I was journaling and writing down everything I ate to not paying any attention, just eating whatever I want. And I think for me, the shift wasn't so much in terms of what food. That being said, obviously eating, um, you know, unprocessed, reducing as much sugar as possible, things like that across the board, I think are are beneficial. Um, Where the big light bulb came for me was when I realized that uh, I didn't want food to rule my life. I wanted food to be something that complemented my life. Whereas when I was really strict with my diet, for example, say I was out for dinner with my friends and they were all eating pizza and I would eat the pizza because I wanted to be with them, but then I would have so much guilt around it. And when I started getting into the the research behind the psychology of food and how it impacts our mood and our physiology, I started to realize so often I would eat, say, a piece of chocolate cake, but then I would for the next day continue to eat it in my head. Mm. And I started to learn that when we do things like that from a physiological perspective and how the food is not only digested and absorbed and broken down in the body is different. Um, it, it really is something that, like you said, like there's no right or wrong. There's no one diet for everybody, but when we can start to figure out what are the foods that I eat them give me energy after 
what are the foods that I eat where I feel good? And, and I really believe every food is a sometimes food. And when I really started to, to loosen the reins on being so strict mm. with it and started to use food as something to, um, to be enjoyed as opposed to like being restrictive or stuff like that, that was where the big shift was for me. I think that's great advice because I know I've been down that, that, that trap a lot of the time where I've, I'm, I can I go through stages where I'm quite restrictive, very strict with my diet. And if I do have a sort of, I guess you could say cheat meal, it's the fault. It's yep. normally the next day that I'm, that I'm dreading it so much. And just from the research I've done and what you've just said, that's, that's doing more harm than actually consuming the meal itself. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it's so true. And, and I think that when we, can kind of surrender a little bit of that. That's when we can, but I mean, it's like anything when we're super, super strict, even with workouts, right? Like we talked about earlier, if we're feeling really tired and stressed, it's probably not good to go do a heavy lift. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same with food, right? Like if we're, if we're feeling really good, we might like different foods for different days for depending on different things. What about the, um, I want to touch on the gut brain connection. That's mm -hmm. a um, talking point at the moment, I think, and especially yes. regarding to sort of mood happiness and that, Yep. How, how crucial do you think this is? I know when I focus on sort of just improving my gut um, and reducing inflammation, um, that's when I see the greatest benefits. Yeah. You know, I, I love that, like you said, this is a really popular topic and people are having this conversation more than ever. Mm. And one of the things that I think is so great about that is that I think if we would have rewinded even 10 years ago, the conversation about food began with what we put in our mouth and it ended with what we put in our mouth. Mm. And now we've kind of extended that. So we're starting to appreciate and learn more and understand that that's like step one of the process, right? And then how the food gets digested, absorbed, um, what's going on in our gut. And even at the other end where I don't think people five years ago would even talk about poop and what the poop yeah. looks like, yeah. you know, squatty potties weren't so popular, all these things where <laughs> we're starting to realize that across the board, it matters from when it goes in to when it comes out and everything in between. And a lot of the research that's coming out right now, in particular, looking at gut and mood is very fascinating to me. Mm. And I think we're just scraping the surface of starting to understand and appreciate what is a very complex system in our body, but it is giving us more insight into how food, because food isn't just energy in, energy out. There's a lot going on in between. And when we look at hormones and mediating factors, all these things, it really, um, I think it's helping us to learn a lot more about what's going on above, even like I talked about earlier, how with, with co uh, coffee and caffeine, how it can have a cardioprotective effect for some people and not for others. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that, realizing that depending on, um, what's going on in our gut, how much good bacteria we have there, all of those things, it's going to start to help us understand and learn even more about our body. Incredible. Do you follow a, or do you try and implement any sort of food or include a lot of food um, for this specific reason to help with the gut lining, those kind of things like bone broth? I know L-glutamine is a supplement that's been talked to quite a lot um, in this project that I've conducted. Um, a few other things that off the top of my head, I can't quite remember, but bone broth and L-glutamine seem to be quite popular. Yeah, you know, I um I have uh been making bone broth for years and I you know it, I like the way it feels particularly like I'm in Canada so in the winter it can be really great to um to drink warm things in the winter we're just kind of coming out of our winter. Yeah. Um also a lot of fermented foods. Uh you know, I eat a lot of um sauerkrauts, kimchi, kombuchas, things like that. Um I try to be mindful of consuming 
foods that are high in fiber. I think sometimes fiber is boring and it's not like a sexy topic and yet that can be really great. Mm. Um, and, you know, really trying to, I kind of pay attention to how I'm feeling where um, trying to eat foods that feel good. So in the winter, I tend to eat a lot more soups and stews and things like that versus the summer where it might be more salads and stuff like that. Like it kind of changes throughout the the year, but always making sure that a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables are included. Awesome. A lot of water. Water is kind of the big one that I think doesn't get talked about as much and yet is really, really important because mm. I mean, we're primarily water, water, our bodies. And so making sure that above the supplements or the nutrition, making sure that um, drinking a lot of water has probably been one of the most um, impactful things. And if I go days where I don't drink a lot of water and I'm dehydrated, I notice right away. Do you, um, with the water specifically, do you focus on the quality? Yes. You do? Yeah. But I, yeah, I drink a lot of spring water. Yeah. Um, and in, in like I talked about earlier with gratitude, good, better, best, um, making sure that, you know, we get a reverse osmosis or a, a filtered water or the best quality water um, mm. that you can trying to limit um, the, you know, ones with heavy metals or neurotoxins like fluoride, things like that. Um, you know, well, they may not be clinically dangerous in my mind, the way I think about it is if something like fluoride is a known neurotoxin, even though at a low concentration in drinking water, it may not be harmful. Mm. I try not to consume anything that I know is a neurotoxin, right? Even at low concentrations. That being said, um, if I'm out for dinner and they're serving tap water, I, I'm going to drink it. I'm not so strict on that, but I just try to make the best choices with what I have when I can. And I release any guilt that I have around that as opposed to comparing that to perfection or like the gold standard. And that in and of itself, whether it be in terms of nutrition, whether it be in terms of fitness, whether it be in terms of water consumption, letting go of this idea of perfection and always having to compare to that is a really powerful practice to acceptance and to peace. Absolutely. That's great advice. I know it's the toughest, it's probably the toughest thing for me. I do go. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us who get really right into the fitness and health scheme of things, they, it can get a bit obsessive. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that is the toughest part. What about supplementation for you? Do you, do you take um, certain supplements on a daily basis for, um, I guess you could say health and longevity standpoint? Mm -hmm. So I actually, um, I just did the Dutch test, which is a test of your hormones. So it looks at testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone through my naturopath. And, and I did this um, because I was really interested in what's going on in my body. And I'm someone that can kind of geek out on uh, those kind of things. Um, so when I did that, one of the things that I found um, for me was that when cortisol, which is a stress hormone, it kind of spikes midday and then it tends to decline and then it goes down in the evening. And for me, um, my cortisol continued to go up in the evening. So it was not following what is the sort of typical normal healthy pattern. And that's yeah. because, you know, I, I, uh, I work all day, I work all night, I have a hard time turning my brain off, things like that. So I need mm -hmm. to really focus on down regulating at the end of the day and learning to unplug and mm -hmm. learning to unwind a little bit more. So I've been focusing on, you know, in the evening, um, trying to, to do that. And in addition, I've been taking, um, I, I take B vitamin. Yep. Um, I'm taking um, a uh, vitamin C. Um, yep. It's winter time here. Um, my and these are all, I sort of worked with my naturopath to figure out yeah, what okay. was right. And, and I think that's a good thing. If you're not sure, maybe really um, making 
a point of talking to a medical professional to get those things because some supplements aren't, they can actually be detrimental sometimes, especially when you get into fat soluble vitamins. Mm. We really want to be careful with that. Um, but I do take uh, a B, I take a, it's called like cortisol ease or something. It's supposed to help with my cortisol in the evening. I take a, what else do I take? Magnesium at night. Yep. I'll either take that in a capsule or I'll drink like a tea with magnesium or something like that. That's been really helpful um, for me. And then I've been drinking a lot of like sleepy time teas at night with things like lavender, chamomile, skull cap. And those have been nice at the end of the night to, to help me wind down. Amazing. I like it. Very, it. very similar to me. Um, what is the, yeah, you touched on the wind down, um, the, the importance of having to wind down at night. Um, what, are some, what does that actually look like for you? Is it making sure you're off your phone? Are you stretching, meditation? What does it actually look like to helping you wind down and improve your sleep quality? You know, it's one of those things too, where I think it's important to have the conversation around um, what is best versus what actually happens in real life. Because I can sit here and I can tell you, you know, I know that if I turn off my device two hours before bed and then I meditate and then I, uh, you know, do some gentle stretching that, and I have my tea, that's kind of like a best case scenario. But the reality is I know for myself and probably for a lot of people listening, like that doesn't always happen. And whereas before we touched on, you know, this idea of perfection, I surrendered a lot of that. So I do what I can. Um, it's different every day. Some days I have a bit more time at night where I might be able to um, read for a little bit, or I do try to get off my screens before bed. doesn't always happen, but I, I ha it, when I am on my screens at night, I, I turn on the the filter, you know, the blue blocking filter. You try, um, have you tried blue light blocking glasses at all? Are you I, I have some of those as well. No, but the thing is for me, I wear glasses, I wear contacts. And so at yep. night I wear glasses. And so it can be challenging for me to yeah, wear because yeah. I have to put the glasses over my glasses. Yeah. <laughs> and then it becomes this like balancing thing. So yeah, um, I don't use them very often, although I do appreciate and can understand the science behind them and they are mm -hmm. beneficial. Um, I do. One of the things I think particularly in today's day and age, I do not listen to the news remotely before bed. That's yep. been a big one for me because, you know, I think it's important to stay informed on what's going on in the world, but this is, it's a very slippery slope into this spiral of anxiety and stress and fear. And mm -hmm. so particularly before bed, like you talked about choosing your thoughts, that's yep. one that I don't need to know at nine o'clock at night, what's going on in the news. Yep. Um, so I, I do limit that. I try to, um, I love to read before bed. Mm. And what I was finding was I was reading, I read a lot of like personal development, self-help books. Yeah. And while those are really amazing, sometimes at night, they almost like gear me up again. They energize me. Yeah. Whereas I'm trying yeah. to wind yeah. down. Yeah. So what I, what I do now is I read those books in the morning and in the uh -huh. evening I read biographies Yeah. because okay. it was kind of, this fine, this line where I still kind of, I'm, I'm inspired by the stories of people, but it's more like a story. So it does help me kind of, it doesn't wind me up as much. So that's been something that I think um, has been really beneficial. Sometimes I'll have baths before bed. I like that. Um, but again, it's, it's always different. And by no means is it, is it perfect. Right. That's great. Advice. Quote, perfect. I'm going to try that biography because I know yeah. I was at the same boat. I was, I was, I read a lot of self-knowledge health books and those kind of things, but it, it does wild my mind. Um, and I get, mm -hmm. sort of, I get motivation out of it. So I tried, um, I tried reading fiction for a while, just sort of these, um, almost. I tried that too. Yeah, uh, it just didn't work for me. Um, yeah, me too. I, I just couldn't do a it. A couple that I've read recently that were really interesting. Well, first of all, I love it because we can all see ourselves in other people's stories in different ways. Mm. Um, a couple of interesting ones that I've read recently that you might like. Um, 
I read Andre Agassi's biography, The Tennis Player. Yep. Um, I read Arnold Schwarzenegger's biography, Total Recall. That was really good. Awesome. Um, and I also um, just read Benjamin Franklin's biography, the one by Walter Isaacson, the same guy that wrote the Steve Jobs one. Nice. Um, yep. Yeah, those were all really good. I'm going to touch on something funny that I've read um, in a lot of your, oh, it's come up in podcasts that I've, I've heard you speak about tongue scraping. Oh, uh, yes. It's something, it's something that I haven't actually touched on yet. So I'm interested to hear, interested to hear the science behind it um, and why you do it and those kind of things. You know, it's so funny that you brought this up. My most popular blog post I have ever written is for My Body Green, and it was my tongue scraping article. Everything I've ever written, that <laughs> one has had like hundreds of thousands of share. Like it's just, um, and it's interesting Bye. because it's one of those things that, like, when you kind of think about it, it makes sense. Mm. And yet, until I learned about it, I had no idea. So essentially, tongue scraping. Um, for those of you that are listening and you're like, "What is she talking about?" Mm. Um, it's sort of like a U-shaped. Um, it's like a straight piece of metal bent into a U. And you, in the morning when you wake up, you stick out your tongue and you slide the side of it along your tongue and it scrapes off all the gunk that's on your tongue. And um, you can get them. um, Pretty much every health food store has them um, all across the world. Um, You want to look for one that's copper or metal because if you get a plastic one, plastic is porous. And so it will start to absorb different um, bacteria and things like that, which is not ideal. Mm. But essentially... um, the principle of it comes from Ayurveda. And in Ayurveda, the tongue is considered to be a detoxifying organ. And they believe that as you sleep, your tongue is starting to to detoxify your body. And if you're like, you're not too sure about that, I mean, if you wake up in the morning and you look at your tongue, there's a lot of film on it. It's gross. And so whether you like the Ayurvedic approach or you don't, the bottom line is that there is a layer of film on your tongue in the morning when you wake up. Mm. And our tongue is a breeding ground for germs and bacteria and things like that. So why would you want to swallow that back into your body? Right. <laughs> right? It's gross. And it actually is very disgusting. Um, when you scrape it in the morning, I usually do a couple of scrapes. You start right at the back of your tongue and then you pull this to- sort of the top part of the U forward mm. and you'll be amazed at what comes off. And something that I find really interesting, we talked about kind of being a student of our body and our body communicating with you. I do notice if I eat a lot more sugar or something like that, I tend to have a lot more film on my tongue. Okay. So you can start to, to pay attention to your body in that way too. But it's one thing, it takes two seconds. I do it in the morning before I drink anything and it's not a lot of work. And yeah. it, I do, I also notice a lot of things that I do, I think it's a good indication of letting you know if it's something that is really um, significant for you is if when you forget to do it or you don't do it, you notice that you didn't. Mm-hmm. And if I go downstairs and I have coffee and I realize I hadn't scraped my tongue, like I can tell in my mouth. Mm. So, and from a research perspective, um, in the article, if you just Google like mind, body, green, tongue scraping, it'll come up. Uh, I've linked some research that shows things like holitosis, bad breath, looking at, at different sort of um, tooth health perspective and the bacteria in your mouth. It can also, there's some research that shows benefits of of scraping your tongue and some people brush their tongue that tends to be a little bit more common yeah brushing your tongue is good it's moving things around scraping is better because it gets it out of your mouth right i was going to ask about what about um even just something as simple as gargling some water and then spitting it out obviously you're not going to quite yeah. release as much um as you would but scrape. you're still moving some stuff and you're spitting yeah, yeah. it out right yeah, and salt, salt water can be really really great um for that as well and and it's one of those things even sometimes in a pinch i've used the side of a spoon 
Yeah. Like a metal spoon. Yeah, yeah. Something, something to slide it. it. Yeah. Any other, um, I'm going to say the word hacks. I like using the word hacks. Um, a lifestyle hacks that you put in place. Um, things like cold thermogenesis, are you having cold showers, um, infrared, uh, infrared sauna, anything like that that sort of you're putting in place to sort of enhance your, enhance your overall health and well-being? Mm. So, I mean, uh, I hate cold showers, but I do them sometimes because <laughs> I know that they're, they're good, but I, I don't like them. Yeah. And I'll do it at the end of my shower usually. I'm not like Wim Hof, um, you know, into straight into it. I, I, uh, uh, that being said, same, I love saunas. Um, infrared saunas are, are great. I think if I'm sort of doing a scan right now in my life, what is most beneficial? Um, I think it's, it's comes back to my sleep. Sleep's been a really big one for me lately and making sure um, to be sleeping in a dark room, like to really the quality of sleep um, is big. I have like an eye mask, it's, which is great for when I'm traveling and things like that, that, um, that I put over my eyes. What, um, what eye mask is it? It's called a Manta, M-A-N-T-A. The reason I like it is because I used to just use a regular one, but I would find that the light would kind of come in down by my nose. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah, also yeah, yeah. I have, um, I have pretty long eyelashes. And so the other masks would bother me because if I would blink with it on, my lashes would hit right. the, okay. the thing sense. that would drive me crazy. So this one has like a little hole in the middle and then sort of like foam, like a foam around it. So it fits around your nose better, but then it also has space in the middle and it's machine washable. So I think it was pretty inexpensive, like 20 bucks or 30 bucks or something like that. But it was, that's been a real big game changer for me. And I, I always travel with it. It's great for airports and on airplanes um, and things like that. But I think for me, out of all of the things, when I've recently been prioritizing my sleep and trying to make sure that I go to bed at a good time and get, you know, my room is a little bit cooler and comfortable, that's been more than anything else, the thing that I've noticed lately that has had the most benefits in terms of my mental clarity, my sharpness, energy levels, things like that. Amazing. Mm -hmm. That's, that's amazing. That's very powerful. And that's, I think that's an awesome note to finish on there. How powerful the importance of sleep is. Cause it is, um, I think it is undervalued in a lot of people. Um, yeah. It's just I not thought, a very sexy topic. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's right. But, <laughs> it's really yeah, I want to say big, Big thank you um, for joining me this afternoon and your your wealth of knowledge. Um, what we've covered today is absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful for it. Um, and as I said right at the beginning, um, I'm grateful for all the work you do because you've changed changed my life for the better. You inspire me and I'm sure there's multiple other people across the world who are in the same boat. Thank you. And thank you for, for inviting me on and having this conversation because I think, especially more than ever, when we can collectively learn and share what we're doing and in doing it in ways where it's accessible, like what you're doing and asking those questions, I think it's really, really important now more than ever. So thank you for having me on and I really enjoyed our conversation.